Let me give you, I want to tell you my original idea that perhaps sparked a little more anxiety in Peter, but I can alleviate some of that. Here's what I want to do. I wanted to put two um, podiums up here, and I wanted to read from the transcript of the debate. Wouldn't tell you who it would be equal. I would read from both, you know, both people. And what I would try to do is find when, where they made a, you know, sort of a clear statement of a position that the other person would not be able to agree with. And I wanted to demonstrate sort of my, my deepest desire of how I wished they would have responded. The truth is I couldn't find enough clear, you know what I'm saying? I couldn't find a, a clear position that was stated it, over the whole transcript. And so here's, I'm going to do it this way. It, it will have um, application to what's happening politically, but this really has no, I don't have any politics connected um, immediately to our conversation today. Here's what I would like for you to do. Um, and I've had this exercise, this is, um, reflects a lot of sort of my physiology when I encounter a very difficult conversation. And I, um, I don't have any anxiety disorder, but I, it creates what I, I think anxiety might be the closest word because something happens in my chest. I know when I'm entering into a conversation that is really hard for me, um, my chest, I feel it. I can feel it either getting tight or it just feels kind of weird. Um, here's what I'd like for you to do, if you wouldn't mind, if you can, would you cross your arms like this, please? And even close your eyes. And I'm simply going to read out loud, say out loud, just five issues that people very rarely feel ambivalent about. It's very, it's almost universal that you will have a strong reaction, one way or the other, to this. Here's the first one. Illegal border crossing. Gun control. Universal health care. Supreme Court nomination. Black licorice. Okay. I don't know people who are ambivalent about any of those. They have, it feels like a visceral response. Um, and so what I, I'd like to talk about very simply is how do we, when I have something that feels so deep, and it is my belief that if we could peel back deep enough, that we would find even the person who so, so disagrees with how I've concluded something or how I view a position, that if I could peel back far enough, I would find that there is this nugget in both of us that is rooted in something good, a desire that is deeply good. And so, I, I want to read this passage that 
seems so timely and, and poignant in a way. I'm gonna pause just after the first sentence because the first sentence reads like this. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. As a prisoner of the Lord, that little phrase happens a few times in the Bible. He references that. I've always thought of it this way. Hey, I'm going to prison. I'm in prison. You ought to to listen to me. Like, what have you sacrificed? Like, if you haven't sacrificed like I've sacrificed, then I get to win the conversation because I'm the bigger sacrificer. And so you, I've always felt like it was this leverage. I don't think that's what he's saying here. I think what he's saying here, and I, I, can, I sort of feel his emotion, as a prisoner of the Lord, I've learned and lost, I've learned I can live with almost nothing. I've lost everything. And the thing I most desire is not a, not a good meal, not to get to go walk in the garden again, not to feel free to speak to thousands like I have. What I most desire is connection and relationship. And if we don't, if we don't live out some of the things I'm going to tell you, We're not going to have that. We're not going to have the thing that we have most longed for. I believe that in this crazy world, and quite honestly in Bible college, I had many arguments about that were the sovereignty of God. That big word just means that God's in charge of everything. And so I had friends who would leave Bible college, even though we were a very conservative, sort of strict, and would certainly believe in the sovereignty of God. But they believed that God made everything happen. Almost it would feel like we were just puppets. Now, here's the dilemma. I believe God's in charge of everything. And yet, what feels contradictory, I believe God lets us make lots of choices and God lets us live in this fallen world. And so what the Bible says God does, who is sovereign, is he works to make all things good. Now, I don't know how all of that fits. I have no idea, but I I, I lean into these two ideas that he is sovereign and he will make something good even out of the worst. One of the things I have noticed in the horror of the pandemic is that people, my brothers and sisters, we have begun to realize how we value each other in a way we didn't realize before. When it's difficult to just go hang out. And so I think this is I think God has been working for good, not something he wanted. I don't think he flashed some huge judgment personally. I think this terrible thing that happens in a world that's gone crazy, he can make something good out of that. Okay, back to 
these things that our friend Paul is saying as we enter into difficult conversations. That's, I'll kind of limit it to that. Whether political, whether theological, whether sociological. Here's what he begins with. Be completely humble and gentle. Someone says something to me, they state their position, and I feel my chest tighten. I can't tell you how many times I have interrupted them with a yeah but. I haven't let them finish their sentence. I just interrupted them because it, 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 I didn't mean to even, it just erupted because it, it, it's so wrong what they said. I don't know if you can think of any examples where that's happened recently on television. But I admit I've done it. I really have done it. Can you imagine, here's what I dream for politically in church splits. That somebody states their position. I don't interrupt them. I hear it all. Oh, how I wish I would hear a politician say, you know, I've thought a long time, but listening to you, I realize I had drawn the wrong conclusion. I think you may be right. It's difficult for me to understand how you've come to that position. Would you tell me more so that I can really understand? Because I may be wrong. I don't know. I suppose that would be political suicide. And it would take tremendous humility, something I don't often exhibit. Because you see, when somebody's speaking and they, they say something that I have that response to, I no longer can listen. All I can, all it seems I can do is be thinking about how I can rebut and respond. Politically or with my wife. Imagine if, if, if we lived in a world where we could be gentle. To be gentle, to say, I don't, I don't know the answer to your question, to your inquiry, to your point, but could I get back to you? When I, when I said what you just quoted, I misspoke. Would you let me rephrase that? You see, humility and patience do seem to walk hand in hand. It, to be patient takes humility. Or gentleness, I'm so sorry. 
Let me do patience. So here's patience. Humility, gentleness. By the way, when I am in these conversations, back to the gentleness idea, you will know that I'm in one of those conversations because I get loud. You see, I often believe that the reason a person is not understanding my truth is that they have auditory issues. They can't hear well. And I have this impulse that if only I would say it louder, then they would get it. It's clear, often with my wife. Yes, yes. And I get louder and louder. My wife and I actually have a signal if we're at a dinner party and I start to ramp up, she will do this. Remember the movie The Sting? Anyhow, it doesn't matter. She just touches her nose. And that means we've had enough without embarrassing me. But then she tells everybody why she did it. But anyhow, um, be patient. I'm sorry I did not let you finish your thought. Imagine, imagine on, on the debate. If, if both candidates had just said, oh, I, I got that crazy thing in me. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. I didn't let you finish your thought. Please, go ahead. Patient. Hey, perhaps this is a big topic. Maybe we could meet a few times to discuss it because I don't feel like we have enough time to solve it right now. I'd like to think about this for a few days. This is important. He says, as we go on, be gentle, I mean, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. I want to give you some examples of what bearing in love does not look like. Number one is gossip. The Bible has a bit to say about gossip. And it, it doesn't seem like a big deal in one sense. I mean, you know, it's just a little conversation. I have a theory about gossip. I, there, I have, my theory of gossip is that we are, as humans, desperate to connect. And when I'm struggling to connect and I want to belong, if, I, if you and I can at least agree on a person we don't like, if we can talk about the person who we really don't like, then you and I can feel connected. We don't have to talk and reveal much about us. We can just talk about how bad they are. It feels that our political system has simply devolved into a process of gossiping. All we have to do to rally together is to highlight the failings of someone else. 
church splits happen often. Not because people have just big disagreements, which they do, but, but they have big disagreements which they do not speak together about with humility and gentleness and patience, and they talk to other people on their team. What happens with gossip is I'm simply trying to find somebody who will be on my team. I can't tell you how many times, and I know that I tend to be naive, that somebody has come and asked me, hey Carl, what do you believe about blank? And I'm thinking they want to learn my position. They want to learn. They're, they're struggling. They're, they're in the midst of sort of making some decisions. If I look back, that's never been why they've asked me. They've always asked me because they want to know if I'm on their team. And when I answer, they either feel close to me or there is a distance in the relationship. Another way in which we will struggle to bear with one another in love is when we begin believing we can name somebody. A name is a, a, single, a single statement that when saying, maybe we don't realize it, but it will summarize the entire person. This, when I name somebody, what I'm saying is this is all of who they are. I wouldn't intellectually say that, but that's sort of what I'm doing. This is who they are. I can't believe they believe that. You would have to be stupid to believe that. Stupid. How do you get out of that? If you're Stupid, how could you ever come to somebody and, and, and have something of worth to bring in a conversation? If you're stupid, why would anybody listen to you? Selfish. Narcissistic. Weak. Greedy. Irresponsible. Now, people are all of those things. But in some degree, aren't we also every one of those? <laughs> Have I not been a part of all of that? Bearing with one another in love requires this little test that Jesus gave us. What would it feel like if I was on the receiving end of that? What, would, what does it feel like when somebody names me and I feel stuck in that name? What does it feel like when I'm interrupted? What does it feel like when I don't think that they care to hear my response? What does it feel like when I never get an apology? What does it feel like to me when I'm held to something I just misspoke and I didn't mean to really say it that way? If my answer is it just doesn't feel very good, then the simplest thing I can do to exhibit love to somebody is to at least begin with that. 
I don't want to do that to somebody because I know that doesn't feel like love. Again, it doesn't mean that somebody doesn't have moments. It doesn't mean that we don't confront. It, it means that we, we don't summarize a life with someone's worst moment. I've noticed in my own life, sadly, that the older I get, the more difficult it is to make friends, deep friends. And I'm afraid that unknowingly it's because I've, I've become too ideological. I'm afraid that, and this is my personal story, that I can no longer trust someone who does not see the world the way I see the world. I've had experiences where it's just too painful. And so I don't want to risk anymore. And here's a very true equation. If you do not risk, you cannot have intimacy. I think that with all that Paul will be saying, in fact, in this entire chapter, even though we won't go into the entire chapter, the entire chapter will speak to this idea of how can we be together? How do we, how do we preserve the one thing that is the most valuable thing? When he says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We're not going to all see the world the same way. We're not going to agree on any, everything in the Bible. But there's one thing we can do. And there is one place we can come together every week. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so Paul says that there's one body, and he's already said that this is the plan for the fullness of time to anakephalio, to unite together under one head, all things in Christ. It's, it's his body. And so on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. And so um, 
If you're struggling to know how to talk to somebody else in the body, um, this is a pretty important picture. You know, according to Scripture, God created everything with a word. He spoke a word into the chaos, into the void. And that word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And it was he that said, this is my body, this is my blood. And so when you speak a word, uh, this is the word that you're supposed to speak. And so the, the word might be, it might be a confrontation. Um, it might be an encouragement. Uh, the word might be easy. The word might be hard. But whatever you speak is to be this. And so I think in our heads, in our hearts, I can, I can ask myself, is this the word that I'm speaking when I speak? Because if I speak, I become a participant in the new creation. But if this is not the word that I speak, I become a participant in the desecration. So we invite you to come to the table and take one of these cups. And I, I wish we didn't have to do it with these little cups or whatever, but maybe that's a good reminder that this really isn't about bread and wine. It's about every word that you speak. And uh, when you speak to your neighbor, are you okay? I wash, I did the full on, mm -hmm. I totally antiseptized my hands. Okay, are you ready? So whenever I speak to Carl, I'm to be doing that. And whenever Carl speaks to me, that's what he's doing. And we become hmm. uh, what we truly are, the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. The same Apostle Paul writes in a different letter. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. May it be Amen.